0: We pick up to take
1: up with our study and moving through the time uh, frame we have come to. Uh, we're still moving through that period of time that we talked about so far up to coming coming up to now the, the prophets uh we've mentioned already i mentioned i think this morning yeah this morning service and then again at our dining together at lunch it was mentioned about prophecy uh as a subject eschatology and so forth i don't want to engage in too much technicality on the matter of the prophets and prophecy but it is, it is of course, a very large part. The prophets, their writings, uh, their sermons to, to Israel were a large part of this uh, ongoing unfolding of the story of redemption. The prophets themselves were heralds of that kingdom that is being unfolded. And uh, so it's certainly not something we want to to ignore or turn a blind eye to. Goldsworthy says, for the purposes of our discussion, we may divide the prophets of Israel into two main groups. Now, again, this is a very broad and large categorization. It's not technical, and I'm not getting technical. I don't want to be technical. He's talking in very, very broad and general terms. And he says that in broad terms, they may be divided into basically two groups. The first group comprises the prophets who live in the period of the kings in history and whose message is mainly oriented to that epoch of revelation. The second group consists of those living in the period after the schism, after the division, that word means, between Judah and Israel, when the history of Israel ceases to contribute positively to the revelation of the kingdom. That is, Israel's history ceases to be a tool of instruction uh, specifically toward uh, the the revelation of the kingdom. We may note that the first group contains the non-writing prophets while the second group contains the writing prophets now look at the footnote there on that subject. he says this terminology using this terminology writing prophets and non-writing prophets this terminology is not precise since it is not at all clear how much of the prophetic literature was actually written by the prophets themselves essentially the prophetic oracle was a spoken word and its committal to writing was a subsequent event. In other words, these prophets did not sit down and write out their message, typically. Some was, of course, some were. And He talks about writing prophets, but then there were non-writing prophets. Just like today, most preachers don't sit down and write out their message. It's delivered orally, and and that's how it was. So he, that's how it is often done. So he, Goldsworthy, however, says that we can broadly, broadly generalize about these prophets as being those who were writing prophets and those who were not writing prophets. Uh, It was a great day in my life many, many, many years ago when it occurred to me and was taught to me that not everything written in the Bible was written by the person (laughs) uh, to whom it's uh, ascribed or with whom it's generally associated. Uh, There's a lot of writings there that are written by someone else uh recording what another person said. In fact, your four gospels, that's the four the four gospels that way, right? I mean, they recorded what Jesus said. He said it. They recorded it. So you have to keep that distinction in your mind when you study the scriptures. But but there is there is this non technical explanation of these two general groups. Now this prophetic era uh, in the progressive revelation brings into focus the relationship between grace and works. The prophetic era uniquely brings into focus in this subject of, of the progression of revelation, redemptive revelation, revelation of the kingdom that God's building the prophetic era brings into focus more than anything preceding it that relationship between grace and works. Page 92 at the bottom goes where he says the prophetic office is closely related to the conditions laid down for the enjoyment of the covenant blessings. Although Israel's salvation has for its basis God's gracious acts in saving the people out of Egypt. There is a close link between the enjoyment of the final outcome of salvation and Israel's obedience. And is it not true that in the in the prophets, more than, at least more than anything in Revelation preceding that, it's in the prophets that they bring to bear this relationship between Israel's obedience and their enjoyment of the covenant blessings. This is in fact the subject of much of their preaching. Much of their preaching has this for its subject. Israel's requirement of obedience to the enjoyment of the covenant blessings. That's what the prophets handled greatly. He says at first sight this appears to mean Appears to me that Israel's salvation is achieved by obedience to the law. But this is not so. Grace comes first in the saving acts of God. Then law binds the saved people to God as his people. Should these people refuse to accept their responsibility to live as God's people then they must suffer removal from the land of blessing. The prophets in this unfolding revelation of his kingdom, the prophets are the first to really bear down and emphasize this relationship between the covenant, their obedience, and the blessings of the covenant. The footnote there is worthy, He says the relationship of good works to salvation is essentially the same in both Old and New Testaments. In both, salvation is by grace, but grace never stands alone without good works. To put it another way, we may say that no one in Old or New Testament is saved because of good works, But no one is saved without good works. This is one aspect of the unity of the two Testaments, which makes the Old Testament so applicable for the Christian. Now, this is where so many of our Arminian and or fundamentalist brethren go off the rails. They fail to see that salvation in the Old Testament is exactly the same as in the need. It has only and ever and always been by the grace of God. Works never merited Israel's salvation as it does not merit our salvation. But the relationship between those two things does exist. There is this relationship and the prophets preached prolifically, to bear this truth down on Israel's heart. That their obedience was requisite to their enjoyment of the covenant blessings. That's not different in the New Testament. That's not different in the New Testament from what it is in the Old Testament. As to the prophets and the law, page 94 goes where he says, there are three essential ingredients in the oracles of these latter prophets. First, there is the covenant of Sinai, which remains the rule of faith and behavior. This God-given law is never considered a temporary thing. It stands as expression of God's character, which is unchanging. We were talking about it at lunch, how so many of the new uh, uh, neo-Calvinists, the new Calvinists, and the new Reformed Baptists, and all these new people, they have tossed the law out as a rule for governing our lives. They say it has no place in the governing of our lives. Goldsworthy says here, it, talking about this God-given law, stands as the expression of God's character, which is unchanging. And as such, it is the point of reference when the prophets interpret events as God's dealings with Israel. Against this law, the conduct of the covenant people is seen to be lacking and a terrible provocation towards God. Whatever specific aspect of the transgression the individual prophets concentrate on, the underlying implications are always the same. Israel has broken the covenant with the merciful God who saved his people for himself. So the prophets are emphasizing this responsibility, this covenant responsibility, of their obedience to God. Now that, uh, again, we're looking, what we're doing is we're tracing the timeline here. We're we're going down the road, trying to trace the timeline of the revelation. Prior to this era of the prophets, that particular aspect, although it was of course present and demonstrable, it was not as prolific. The prophets really picked this up and you really introduce to it in their in their labors this relationship between obedience and ble- the covenant blessings. And then on page ninety nine he talks about the kingdom pattern in prophecy. He says, "Now we return to the pattern of future hope to which all the writing prophets contributed. It may be summed up quite simply: the form of future history will be a replay of past history." but with a significant difference. All the hope for the future is expressed in terms of a return to the kingdom structures revealed in the history of Israel from the Exodus to Solomon. The great difference is that none of the weaknesses of the past will be present. Of the past will be present. In short, sin and its effects will be eradicated. So now when the prophets looked forward, all the way forward, to the end time, what you find in their descriptions is the same structure that was in the old covenant. But with this difference, the weaknesses that kept the old covenant from being maintained will not exist and we go out into a sinless environment where all the covenant demands are kept without sin and all the covenant blessings are enjoyed without measure. Not every aspect, one thing to consider when, you, when you're when you reading the prophets, And sometimes, isn't it true, this is where we get into trouble with uh, interpretation, uh, hermeneutics and interpretation. When you're reading the prophets, sometimes we don't always, in every text, we're not altogether clear where, how far out in the future are they talking about. Are they talking about in Israel? Are they talking about in this world or are they talking about this final state in the world to come? We don't always know exactly where those lines fall. Uh, I know some men think they do. They think they have the answer to every single verse. But the reality is different. Not every aspect of this problem is clearly understood today, nor, we could discuss this if you'd like, in case anyone has a different opinion, I don't think so, nor was it clearly understood to them. It's it's very, very probable that some of the prophets in some of their prophecies, they were given by inspiration of God through the Holy Spirit. It is very probable they they themselves didn't fully fathom what it was they were saying. They didn't have a full understanding of everything they revealed. They prophesied as the Spirit of God moved them. But could they sit down and draw it all out for you in a chart? No, probably not. Uh, nor can we now. But we see the prophecy, and one thing, the only, what he says at the top of page 99 is all that I can say dogmatically about it. And that is that they did predict a future day in the working of this, working out of this kingdom. There is a coming an hour, if you please, in this kingdom when this will all be worked out. And the promises of the kingdom will be fulfilled entirely. Because the hindrances to that fulfillment will be removed. Sin will be no more. And it will be a completed kingdom. So, he has an interesting portrayal on page 101 he talks about what I have called the continuity between the kingdom of God in Eden and the kingdom of God in Israel's history down at the bottom he says we have already seen that there is a continuity between the kingdom of God revealed in Eden and the kingdom of God revealed in Israel's history. It is therefore not surprising that the prophets occasionally refer to the Edenic kingdom as the pattern for the new kingdom to come. And they even mingle elements of Eden and Canaan in their prophecies. Isaiah speaks of the redemption of Israel in the framework of the new creation, new heaven, and new earth. In the context of this cosmic recreation, the new Jerusalem is a new Eden in which the harmony of nature is restored. You see that in Isaiah 11, 1 through 9. All the references to the deserts becoming fertile recall the expectations that Canaan would be a land flowing with milk and honey. And imagery an imagery borrowed from Eden. God will make Zion's wilderness like Eden. You see that in those two scripture references. So he's simply making the point that again, which is the whole point of my doing this series, and and, and, and again I emphasize it to you. He's simply making the point of the continuity. The continuity. This is one continuing unfolding revelation of one kingdom. The kingdom of God and its fulfillment and purposes. And of course I always say it to you. Its ultimate and final fulfillment is in the person of Jesus Christ. But then will there will be a consummation. In the end of time, when the kingdom of Christ will be complete, He will have His elect, He will have those who, whom He bought at Calvary. And uh, all of the fathers are his and His are the Fathers, and they will He will have them to be with Him where He is. Isn't that what He prayed? I believe in John seventeen. So it's the continuity, the continuity. And, and I've said that I, I'll keep on saying this because it is my purpose for teaching this class. If you don't see, and, and you not being you individually, but generically, if a person doesn't see this continuity, then the Bible becomes just a mishmash of of, of individual pious statements, and there's no way. It's just confusion and disorientation and there's no way you you just get into all kind of theological trouble. If you're not seeing the continuity here in the scriptures from the very beginning to the very end. If you miss that then you're missing everything and you get it all wrong. You're going to get it all wrong no matter where you are in the scripture. You take any text take any location you're going to get it all wrong. In your interpretation, because you've missed the bigger picture. That it is a revelation of Jesus Christ unfolding from Eden to the last chapter of the book of Revelation. It's an unfolding of a revelation of the Jesus of Jesus Christ. Right? Sounds simple enough, but I have to say to you again. I've spent most of my life without understanding that. And because of it, most everything I did was futile. In the way of study and in the way of really knowing the Lord, my relationship with him was stunted, stunted greatly because of not understanding his word in its continuity. That's a great point. That's, that's a tremendous weighty point. Any questions or discussion? We'll not go any further today.
0: You made the point, uh, Dr. Sucky and Dr. realized that, just because the book might describe the same law, the really Yeah. one of things that helped me, I was going to the into my initial studies and look at the history of details and whatnot. And it may be stated in the obvious, but some seems to be one of those things. For me, it was one of those things where you heard it said and you didn't get the kick you were actually in it. But one of the things that helped me when you get into the prophets and start looking at them is realizing that these men, these prophets are not all the way up chronologically, obviously. Right. But also, if you figure out the chronology of them, that they, they're not always successful each Right. Sometimes
1: maybe just
0: region.
1: Right. 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 Sure. Sure. Which reemphasizes just to state that same point in a different way. Reemphasizes point that I have made at the beginning of this and some other times that the Bible is not and was never meant to be a direct line history a single line history. It is a redemptive history. It's the history of redemption and therefore it is laid out by the Holy Spirit to unfold that redemption, and that doesn't always fall on parallel lines in the chronology. And uh, that's a very good point, and that, that's a very important point for a young Bible student—not a, necessarily a college or seminary, but even in the children. When my wife teaches children when she teaches the children starting from the tiniest one, she starts them with the timeline. All their teaching of the Bible will be on the timeline so that they get this all straight in their head because if you don't, it becomes just a conglomeration of miscellaneous stuff (laughs) and it gets quite confusing. And you don't draw from you can't draw from that the spiritual well-being that you draw from seeing it uh, as as not a chronology but as a redemptive history. I don't think I remember. I know this sounds horrible. I'm sorry, but I am the fruit of public education. I was taught in public school. I don't remember encountering the term timeline. I don't remember entertaining. The idea of timeline studies until I was much older. Uh, as a child, I know I was never taught it as a child. And the way public school teaches history is so disjointed and, and it's just, I couldn't make any sense out of any of it. That's one reason I struggled with history. I couldn't make any sense of it. But then when you realize timeline, then things start, oh, okay, well now, if a name comes up, or a book title, or a, or a painting, or a whatever, 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 if you can put it on the timeline in your mind, which my wife and brother John can and do, immediately they pin it on a timeline, then that just unfolds everything. That tells you everything. And if you don't have that, You're at a distinct disadvantage, as I can well testify. But that's very good testimony, brother. That's very true how helpful that was to you and to all of us to come to learn that. I don't think we
0: can also, I don't think we can say too often or remind ourselves too often that the Israel's experience. In this kingdom, Israel's experience was a typological one. Yes. It doesn't mean it wasn't real. Right. No. Or it means their experience of yeah. redemption and inhabiting the land and faithfulness to the Lord's covenant is
1: typological
0: of the greater kingdom. Yes. That Lord. Yes. Did has been and is and will establish in the earth right. through Christ. And if that's not kept, at least in, in some way in the back mind, as you're studying Israel's history, that is typical their experience is a temporal one. Yeah. If if it regards an, a, a temporal redemption from Egypt, a right. temporal uh, inhabitant of the land, right? temporal blessings to them and people, then, as he pointed out in, in other things, you, you begin to fall into the fore-assertion, well, there's this, this kingdom in the Old Testament, this different kingdom. Right,
1: right, right.
0: And not only that, you wind up eventually there are 2 strain pedo-baptist friends lined up which is applying the typological to the real
1: that's right that's right. In, that's right that's right baptist. baptist that's right so Pado. that
0: really can't be emphasized too much that. yeah all it is Israel's experience while it's absolutely very real and, and all of the stories that we've them were absolutely inspired and actually happened, they had a typological framework purpose, from yeah, you know, from which they were meant to point to something greater. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that's the emphasis of ninety eight percent of the good groups. Sure. They were sure. It was taking everything in Israel's experience and saying, This is what it
1: means. This is what wait, that's right. This is where it was going what it was pointing to. Yet in fact Israel's Israel's very existence the calling of Abraham originally. Israel's very existence was to the intent of unfolding redemptive history. It was not about a people specifically for or them alone. It was meant to be a type. The whole thing was a type. And they are to this day still a type. It, 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 it
0: can't be Too soundly emphasized to us in the scripture, in the book of Galatians, where let's face it, Paul spent a great deal of his ministry attempting to correct the misunderstanding, misapplication of Israel and their history to the kingdom.
1: That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, I hadn't quite thought of that in those terms, but you're right, he spent most of his mis- ministry in one way or another, in one place or another, trying to correct this misconception. That the, the, that the history of Israel was all about Israel, they thought. And it wasn't, it was about, it was about the greater kingdom that had come, that had come and would come.
0: course, <laughs> Over and over again, he said, God preached before the gospel
1: to Abraham. Amen. Preached before the gospel to
0: Abraham. Looking for the gospel.
1: Go back to Abraham. Amen. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, Temporal experience. It's not no, no. there. It's
1: in their typical experience. Yes, yes. Now, it's in the typology of their experience
0: those who were savingly brought out of even that temporal
1: Israel mm-hmm. within Israel, where Paul says, all of Israel, Israel are Israel. That's right. That's right. There was the true kingdom within that typological kingdom. And when you understand these things in this way, as a preacher, man, it just throws open literally infinite possibilities of preaching material. When you start going back and opening these things in the light of the gospel, it's they are the gospel. They were the gospel. Well, they were pointing to the gospel just as the New Testament points to the gospel. And when you see all that, then the preaching becomes, I mean, staggered. There's no end to the possibilities of revealing Christ. When you're willing to see him in all those Old Testament types.
0: And that is why preaching about, about the preaching of our Adaptive forecroppers is similar to Yes. Read their from 200 or well, 300 years ago. There's a richness of fruiting that we have lost generations yeah. ago. Yeah. We truncated this, this application
1: of the preaching before the
0: gospel
1: of Abraham right, that's right, that's right that's it that's it, yeah, yeah and so much of their preaching was from the Old Testament and they merely referenced the New Testament it's flip-flop today, it's all New Testament they might reference the Old Testament maybe, but, but their preaching was so much Old Testament and they just referenced the New Testament it's almost like, here's where the real meat is We'll just put dessert on it over here in the New Testament, you know. I mean, I see that a lot in the sermons that I read. Palmer, especially Palmer and some of those tremendous messages. So much richer. That's the right word, brother. That, That is definitely the right word, just richer. It's so much richer because of their seeing these things this
0: way.